got just enough people here tonight to change the world. So, if 12 could start a revolution, grew to 120, grew to 3,000 in one day, grew to 5,000 more a few days later, I think we can do that too. Did you know the kingdom of God is about multiplication? It's about multiplication. Here's why the kingdom of God multiplies. As long as we think the guy preaching with the microphone is the guy that does the work, all the work of the ministry, we will only have addition in the kingdom of God. We'll have one by one by one by one. Maybe not even that. But when every believer takes on their role and their, their call to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, takes on the call that Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, these signs will accompany them that believe. When believers take this on, and they come, to the, they come to these gatherings, and as Ephesians 4 says, Ephesians 4 says there are gifts. God has sent people to preach to us. God has sent people to teach us. And God sent prophets and apostles and evangelists. But these ones, he says, are for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So they are not the ones that are doing all the ministry by themselves. They're the ones that are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So that's us, right? That's you. That's me. All right. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to go right back to chapter 4 where we left off last week. We left off last week with a, a bit of an incident. So far, up until a little bit ago, when the church started proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem, after Jesus had died and was resurrected, they hadn't had any major confrontations with the powers that were until uh, a man was healed right outside the temple. Not only was he healed right outside the temple, but they kind of went into the temple and started talking about it. You know, when a guy who's been lame since he was born, and he was over 40 years old, the scripture says, when he's been lame all his life, it's really inappropriate for a guy like that to get healed and not say anything. You know what I mean? Keep his mouth shut. Just go on with his day like nothing happened. You, I mean, do you really expect that's what's going to happen? He gets healed, and, and he starts walking and leaping and praising God, goes into the temple and makes a ruckus. Like we said last week, he starts drawing a crowd. The disciples, the, Peter and John that are with him, they start drawing a crowd. They're explaining, hey, we didn't do this, guys. It was the name of Jesus that healed this man. It wasn't because we were holier. It wasn't because we had some secret power, but it is the name of Jesus that has made this man well. So the man's well, there's a crowd, and then all of a sudden the religious leaders hear this. And as I said before, the religious leaders at the time, the members of the Sanhedrin were primarily made up of Sadducees and then Pharisees. Like we said last week, the Pharisees get all the bad rap. Because they were the ones that are mentioned most in the Gospels, sparring with Jesus. But the Sadducees were more, more dead than the Pharisees, if, if that can be imagined. At least the Pharisees believed that God still worked today. At least the Pharisees believed that there was a life after this. The Sadducees didn't. So Sadducees were like the ultimate combination of religion and politics. And the minute... These disciples start talking about Jesus being resurrected. These guys get ticked off. And they come and they want to shut it down. They say, by what authority? Whose authority? By whose authority did you take, tell this man to get up and walk? Now, I would think the fact that he got up and walked kind of speaks for the authority itself. 
No, they got to know who gave them that authority. So much so that it says that they, they put them on trial. The Sanhedrin was laid out like a semicircle. And you have all of these religious and political leaders sitting around a circle, and they put Peter and John right in the middle. And it says that Peter and John, they preach a message. It's a powerful message. It's got wisdom. It's got anointing. It's powerful. They don't pull any punches. They preach Jesus crucified and resurrected. They, they, they say, hey, you can come. He's offered you forgiveness. But then, then these guys look and they say, we see that this man has been healed. We all know this guy. And this guy's been begging at the temple gate for, for, for many, many years. So they know him. They know it's not a hoax. And it says they had nothing to say in reply. The miracle shut him up. But they, they said, nevertheless, we've got to do something just to make sure this doesn't spread. So they warn. They wag their fingers at the disciples. And they say, I warn you. We're warning you. Don't preach again in this name. The disciples said something that I think we all could learn from. Peter looks at him and says, whether it's right to obey God or you, you be the judge. But we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. See, we're looking for those kind of believers right now that say, if I've, I've seen the hand of God, I've heard the, good, I've heard the word of God, I've seen the power of God, and, and it doesn't matter how unpopular it makes me, it doesn't matter how much trouble it gets me in, I can't stop talking about what I've seen and heard. Here's the question. Is it right for me to obey you or is it right for me to obey God? And in their mind, there's no question. Now, here's what happens. They've been threatened. Now, those weren't empty threats. We'd like to think that they were. We'd like to think it was just like, like I said last week, like a UN resolution. We're very angry at you. We're writing a letter. Please stop doing what you're doing. But it wasn't. It was, it was a threat that had some backbone. These are the folks that crucified Jesus. But of course, as Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. What they didn't understand was they didn't take anything that Jesus wasn't already laying down. So here's what happens. We want to know what happens after the meeting, right? After the court date. These guys are walking away. And they're going to go back to the church. And, and the church is made up of all, pretty much all new, new people. See, we, we read the book of Acts and we go, oh, what super Christians. Someday I'm going to be at their level. Do you realize pretty much the whole church that's gathered right there, has been saved for like a month maybe, maybe less, that the disciples, the leaders, have known Jesus for three years, max. So you think maybe when you reach year 20, you know, I've, I've been serving the Lord for 15 years, maybe I'll finally get to do something. These guys were leading the church after three years. Now, I'm not trying to tell you to, you know, perform a coup and take over or anything like that. There is times of training. The Apostle Paul took 12 years and, and prepared himself for the, the task that God had given him. But I'm just telling you, sometimes we put these guys on a level and say, someday I'll get to that level. It did not take them that long to get to that level. It took them a lot of faith and trust in God. This says in Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in, let's start in verse 23. Well, let's start in verse 21, actually. It says, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. I bet they wished they had a basis. Wish they had something to hold them on, but they didn't. It says, on account of the people. Now, what that tells us is, if these religious leaders could have gotten away with it, they would have done something. But they realized a crowd of people just saw a man get healed 
And they're not going to get away with punishing these guys. It's too public. It's too out there. So they let them go. Because they were all glorifying God. The, all the people who were in the area were glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, this man is more than 40 years old. He's never been able to walk a day in his life. These people all knew this guy. So it was obvious that it was a miracle or the longest con in history. You know, this was 40 years. This guy's been lame. They know him. Verse 23, it says this. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, now let's stop there for a minute. I want you to put yourself in the position of the church people. Two of your leaders have come back and have said they threatened us, they roughed us up, they threw us in prison, they put us in front of the court, and they threatened us if this ever happens again, it'll be stiffer punishment. What's your response at that moment? Is your response to sympathize with them? Is your response to come up with a, well, we should be more secretive? Or is your response to, to find a political solution? Here's their response. The moment they hear it, what do they do? It doesn't say they say anything else. They lift their voice to God. See, we spend so much time talking about the issue rather than actually dealing with it by lifting our voice to God. So these guys, this is how you handle an issue. When, when the doctor says, this is the prognosis, when, when your, your job looks like it's going this way, when people threaten you, this is what you do. Instead of spending all your time yakking about the possibilities, you lift your voice to God, who can actually do something about it. And it says, oh, Lord. It says, actually, let's stop there for a minute. It says they lifted their voices to God with one accord. They got an agreement. Everybody was on the same page. We're going to God together. And they said, oh, Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Once again, they're seeing themselves in prophecy. They're seeing it happen right in front of them. They said, this is not a surprise. You told us this would happen. And he says in verse 27, for truly, even in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So in other words, everybody was in on it. It wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't just the Gentiles. Everybody was in on it, and they opposed Jesus. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So what he's saying there is, once again, they didn't take Jesus' life. They played their part in it as we all did, because Jesus went to the cross for us. They were responsible for their actions, but he says, this was not a surprise to you. This was laid out in your plan that Jesus would give his life. They thought they won this one, but they didn't. Jesus did this. And it says here, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. I love that. You notice they don't say, take note of the threats and make the bad men stop. Take note of the threats and make them stop threatening us. What's their response to threats? 
Your response to threats, naturally, instinctively, before you knew Jesus, when someone threatens you, your first response isn't, well, I just got to be louder then. I mean, maybe you're one of those guys. You know, you're just picking a fight somewhere. But for the most part, you don't go around saying, somebody threatened me, and there's somebody that would follow through on that threat. Maybe I should just uh, be bolder in the way I talk. But that's what they say. They say, Lord, take note of their threats, and here's what we are asking you to do. Grant that your bondservants, that's us. What does bondservant mean? There's a Greek word, diakonos, which means servant. That's somebody who serves freely. Uh, you decide when to show up for work and you decide when to go home, but you're a servant. Uh, that word, diakonos, could also mean a minister, somebody that's, that's serving and serving the people. But this is a different word. It's a word called doulos, which means basically a slave. Now, the Bible tells us, Jesus first and foremost told us, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends. The scripture says later that God has not given you the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father, which Abba in Hebrew meant sort of like daddy. We, we cry out, Father, Daddy. This is what we cry out to God. We have a relationship. Not, he doesn't look at us like his slaves, but as his children. And yet, all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, they refer to themselves as the bondservants, as the slaves of God. How do you reconcile those two things? Here's how to do it. God never treats you like a slave. He treats you like a son, like a daughter. However, we submit our lives and say, whatever you want to do, that's what we do. We've said we're laying down our rights. We're laying down our own opinions. We're laying down our lives as a slave would do to his master, just like Jesus did. Here's the example. I think Jesus solves this whole issue, okay? If you ever wonder the tension between, am I a slave? Am I a son? What am I? Look at Jesus. Because the Bible says, you know, you, you watch, watch Jesus go throughout his time on the earth, and he had a constant relationship with the Father. He was always talking about his Father. There were times where, the, where God said from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He never for a moment acted like an orphan, except for that moment on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that moment of separation from God, separation from his Father, was for us. That was the moment we deserved. But as he walks through the earth, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant, of a slave. He said, for Jesus, it wouldn't have been robbery to call himself equal with God, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a slave, on a, of a bondservant, even to the point, and he, he became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. For this reason, God also exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that at that name every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. So here's the thought. Watch Jesus and watch how he behaves. He always knows that he's loved by the Father. He always knows his place with the Father. And yet he says things like, I don't do what I want to do. Whatever the Father tells me to do, that's what I do. Now, if we can think of anybody that would have the right to do their own thing, it would have been Jesus, Right? I mean, anybody that would probably make the right decision, do the right thing, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus, our perfect example, our image of what a human should be, 
You see, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to be, I'm going to set an example for you. You guys are never, ever, ever going to come close to it, so don't even try. Jesus instructed us to follow in his steps, empowered by his spirit. So Jesus, Jesus walks it out, says, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless I hear him say it. He showed us that, as the old hymn says, perfect submission, perfect delight. That laying our life down, laying our wills down. So here's what the good folks in Jerusalem say. Grant that your bond servants, in other words, we're here for you. We serve you. Now they knew that they're, the chil- that they're God's children. They know that they're sons and daughters. They're not gonna, they don't think that God's going to smack them around like a slave. But at, at the same time, they know my mission, our mission is defined by you. Grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I love this prayer. And this is a prayer I pray right here in Lloydminster. Grant that your people, your bondservants, may speak your word with all boldness. I mean, aren't you tired of being timid with the word of God? Word of God's never meant to be timidly spoken. Now, it could be spoken humbly, but that's not timid. The Scripture tells us, you know, Paul says, pray for me that a door of utterance would be open for me, that when I open my mouth, God would put words in there, and I may speak it boldly and clearly as it ought to be spoke. So the Word of God should be spoken boldly, and it should be spoken clearly. God does not need you to be his PR guy. That's why I think a lot of times we feel like Jesus is a little embarrassing. You know, he's a little out there. We need to be the PR guys for Jesus. We need to, you know, he's a little harsh here. So let's, uh, let's, let's tone that down. Maybe let's put some good graphics with it. Let's make this a little easier to digest. He doesn't need that. But you know, there's power in his word. What he's asking and what we need to ask, because this is a very good example. Do you, the very fact that they're praying this prayer tells me that they were a little shaken up. These are humans. They had to pray that God would allow them to speak boldly. All right? So, you know, sometimes we feel like cowards. Sometimes we feel like wimps. These guys, we think that it didn't even faze them because they acted like it didn't faze them. They say, hey, we got to obey God rather than men. We're, we're, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. And yet they go back and go, we need to pray that we'll be bold to speak. Because you know at the back of their mind, every time they get up to speak, is that thought, what if this time when I speak, what if this is the last time I get to speak? What if this is the time that they really do what they've threatened they would do? You might think, sometimes we put a separation, again, like I said earlier, sometimes we put a separation between us and them. We say, oh, they're superheroes. I mean, like, these guys, these guys could do anything. But these were humans. These were men and women like you and me. They dealt with fear. They dealt with timidity. Paul said to his, his, his uh, the guy that he was training up, he said to Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but he's given you a spirit of love. He's given you a spirit of power and of a sound, disciplined mind. So here's your response. Here's the response to threats, opposition. Here's the response to your own insecurities. Because we all have them, right? These guys were not trained speakers. 
Peter and John were fishermen. They were not trained in in speaking publicly. And you know what? Even though Jesus sent them to the different villages to proclaim the gospel, they still didn't have a lot of experience preaching. So when Peter stands up that first day and preaches that message, that might have been his first big message. And they're not trained in this. They don't have eloquent speech, fancy words. So I can imagine the fear, the insecurity they have. Here's the response. God, grant that we would speak your word boldly with all confidence. If they can pray that, why can't you? Why can't you say, I don't feel it. Man, I'm scared. I'm frightened. God, would you grant? Because here's the deal. Here's how you can pray that prayer because you know it's God's will. You know it's God's will that we go and share the good news everywhere we go. You know it's God's will that we're light in a dark place. You know it's God's will that you're salt in a, in a, in a corrupted place. You know it's God's will that, he, that as many out there that don't know him, he wants them to know him. As many as are going to hell, he wants to save from hell because God does not want people to go to hell. He wants to save them from hell. So if it's God's will and I'm part of his plan, then my response to my own fear and my own insecurity is to say, God, give me boldness. Let me speak it with all. And then you can ask the same thing that they asked. Not just that you'd speak boldly, but God, would you extend your hand to heal and do signs and wonders and miracles through the name of your servant, Jesus. That's what they prayed. And that prayer is still just as relevant today. You can't find a scripture in the Bible. I dare you to look. You can't find a scripture in the Bible that puts this prayer out of date. It's still just as much relevant today. So God, would you grant these bondservants? The group gathered in this room tonight, Lord, would you grant us that we would speak your word boldly, that you would do signs and wonders, healing people, doing miracles, delivering people from evil spirits all over Lloydminster through the name of Jesus, to your glory in Jesus' name. They go on and say this in verse 31. This is what happens. When they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I want you to notice something. Did you notice these are the folks that were there on the day of Pentecost just a little while earlier? What happened on the day of Pentecost? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if that was a one-time thing, why would it happen again? Now, I know that initial baptism of the Holy Spirit might be a one-time thing. I know receiving the Spirit, when you confess Jesus as Lord, you receive His Spirit. That's, that's something that happens. What I'm talking about here is being filled. Do you understand that your tank can get empty or half full? I mean, you always have the Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, once given to us, is given as a pledge of adoption. So He doesn't remove His Holy Spirit from you. But in order to be filled, think about this. When you're filled with something, If this bottle was full of water, could I put anything else in a bottle full of water? I'm talking about just full to the brim. 
Once something is full, it's full. So if you noticed that in our own life, there are times where we're full of the Holy Spirit and there are times where a little bit of us seeps in, you notice that there are times where we've gotten so busy, we've gotten out of the time and presence of God and, and we've devoted our own time to our own things and our own energy to our own things and, and pretty soon the fruit of the Spirit is not really the major thing in our life. Instead, we start to see the fruit of the flesh all over again. We're a little bit half, maybe 50-50, 50% us and 50% what God wants us to be and what God wants us to do and it's not God's fault because he didn't withdraw anything from you but you're letting your levels grow dry because really you're spending more time being busy than spending time with him. So here's what happens. You get more irritable. You get annoyed with people. You get more fights with people. Why, how do I, why do I say that? Because there are 1 Corinthians 3, Galatians 5 and 6. There are plenty of places in the New Testament that say one of the first evidences that we're not walking in the Spirit is that we start to have bitterness and jealousy and strife. So an evidence in my life that my levels are getting low is when I start getting annoyed with people I start get, you know, getting a little picky. I start, having, I start getting irritated. I start getting in strife. It's an evidence in my life that I'm letting the Spirit go low because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If you feel that like you've got no self-control, you need more of the Spirit. You feel like you don't get along with people? You need more of the Spirit. You feel like you're a little fearful? You're getting shyer than you used to be. Here's the thing. Here's, what, here's the, one of the things that's difficult to understand. Have you ever noticed somebody that first got born again, just got saved? You know how often they seem like the boldest person in the room? Should that be the case? Right? Because if there's a bunch of people that have been soaking in the word for a longer period of time, you'd think they'd be bolder. But what happens is that person who's newly born again they're just freshly filled up. Now, there's no reason you can't be filled up just as much as them. That's right. That's right. Come on. But you got to ask. We have not because we haven't asked. You want to ask. You, so you notice, hey, some of the fruits of being not as full, like I said, you get in, you're a little bit more strife and jealousy. There's a little bit of fear working its way in. You know, perfect love casts out all fear. Here's what happens. They get full, filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, they already got filled. Well, they got filled again with the Holy Spirit. Here's the result. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I thought they were already doing that. Seemed like they were. But apparently, they stepped it up in a level just by asking. Guys, that's just all they did. They didn't have to climb a mountain, talk to a guru, they didn't have to solve a complex riddle. All they had to do was ask. Don't you know that most of the time that's all we got to do? God's just waiting. He is able. He is willing. He's ready. But all you got to do is ask and say, God, I'm noticing I'm not as bold as I used to be. I'm noticing I'm a little fearful. I'm noticing I got all this other stuff that's creeping in. Fill me up, Lord. Yes, and when they ask... They received. Do you see a delay here? You see a big delay? It says they get done praying. They finish. Amen. They say amen. The place shakes. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. 
Nobody's left out, even that guy that's in the back corner that never really just wants to participate. No, they, apparently there was nobody like that because it says they went with one accord. And they're all filled. And did it say that the 12 began to speak the word of God with boldness? Does it, no, it doesn't say that Peter and John. It says everybody, they were all filled and they all began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Now, next week we'll, we'll tackle 32 through 37, which is another evidence of being full of the Spirit. But uh, I just want to stop here and let's sit on this for a bit. If you've got to open this section of your Bible and just open it up and read it every now and then, you notice you're getting low. You notice, you notice that there's a period of times where you're more shaken by what people think of you. Well, there's periods of times in my life where I'm more shaken by what people think. This is what I pray. God, I need more. Fill me with your spirit that I can speak your word with boldness. And God, you're, my part's to speak, and you're speaking through me. But you're also going to do miracles. Signs and wonders are going to take place. You're going to confirm your word. See, your job is not to confirm the word of God. That's his job. You ask, and he'll confirm his word. That's what he did in this church. I want you to notice their prayer. When they get threatened, when they get shaken, they don't go home and say, God, make them stop. Please make them stop. I hate being unpopular. They don't say, that does not enter into the prayer. Do you see anywhere in the prayer where they're like, please just, you know, people don't like us. And we thought people were going to like us. And, and I, you know, they just say, hey, let's speak bolder. Yeah. I think that's what we need today. Amen. Don't worry about what people think about you. Amen. Get bold. Get full of the Holy Spirit. The fuller you are of the Holy Spirit, the less of you is there. And you might be a very shy person. You might be an introvert. God loves introverts as well as extroverts. And, and there's sometimes special giftings, uh, a gentle, quiet spirit. That, that A gentle and quiet spirit does not mean a timid spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit can be just as bold and just as powerful. It just operates in a different way. So don't ever equate gentleness and quiet strength with timidity. You feel shyness creeping up, you know that everybody who's anybody has had to deal with that. I have a lot of friends that, that are way more accomplished preachers than I am, been, been all over the world, and you know what? They all say when we started out, we were afraid, we were terrified. And every believer's had to deal with that. The answer when you get the threats, the answer when you get the bad news is immediately you go to God. We spend so much time asking people's opinion about what we should do, checking the internet, or, you know, um, talking to ourselves about it and thinking about all the possible outcomes. Why don't you just cut out the middlemen who are often going to mess it all up and just go directly to God? But you know what? Even, even better, Peter and John could have had this prayer meeting just by themselves. But even better, they brought it to the group of believers and they prayed together. Find some friends that'll pray with you. In those moments that'll join their hands with you, that aren't going to argue about it, that believe the same thing, find some on-fire friends, join your hands, and say, let's go to God together. And don't be surprised if the place shakes. Don't be surprised when God begins to move right away. Amen?
Let's stand up to our feet and let's glorify God. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of more than enough. You are the God of all boldness and power and strength. Everything that's on the earth was created for you, was created through you, was created by you. Lord, we know that you are the beginning and the end. And God, we know that your same spirit that lived in Jesus, the same spirit that was in the apostles, the same spirit that was in the early church is the spirit that you sent to us today. And so, Lord, right now, once again, fill us with your spirit. Enable us to speak with boldness. That every timid person, every person who calls himself weak, as you said, let the weak now say, I am strong. Because there's nothing too big for you. God, we're, we're going to quit saying, can I do this? Am I big enough? And we're going to begin to say, can you do this? Are you big enough? Because it's not about what we can do. It's about what you can do. Lord, we've limited you far too much. We've, we've limited our, our view of who you were and, and what you could do, but we're not going to do that anymore. Fill us up. Shake this city. I pray that an overflow of your spirit would be felt in every church in the city, in every gathering of believers, even if it's a group of believers meeting in a living room. Lord, that you would fill those people. That as you fill your church, those signs of division, those signs of strife would cease in the name of Jesus. And that we would, with one accord, begin to reach out and see our city shaken for Jesus and see signs and wonders and see your hand move in our city and in every region surrounding in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church and Lord Gospel Fellowship as they've both this past Sunday had pastors that have, have stepped down. We know, Lord, that you are preparing someone to step in that place. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters that they would remain strong in their foundation. They wouldn't be shaken. They would not be uh, thrown off track. But Lord, that you would enable them to walk out your, your plan and your word with all authority and all power. I pray that the people that you bring in would be the right people for the right time. Lord, that great grace would be on those congregations and great grace would be on those leaders. Lord, as they come in, that they would be blessed coming into our city. And that, Lord, you would once again raise up a, a banner over this city, a banner of unity, a banner of power in your spirit. Lord, that there be not one church in this city that is left dry, but every church filled with the spirit of God and the power of God in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And, Lord, for, for Brother Ta and Sharon and uh, Brother Lyle and Sister Laura, we pray that they be blessed as they go out as well. As the new people are blessed coming in, Lord, I pray that they be blessed going out. Wherever they go, that your hand would be with them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great night.